Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome and welcome to those of you who are watching online. So, um, would you, as a courtesy to the other people sitting around you, please make sure your phone is turned off or to silence? And thank you to John and to Tim and to Lauren who are back there manning things to make sure that um, we have all this working and that we go out online. Um, I, I never, um, a buddy of mine said years and years ago, never Google yourself. It's a good, it's good advice. It's good advice. And so not check analytics and things like that. But we've got a lot of you who are out there. Um, I know because uh, I hear, I know we have people who watch this from Scotland. So uh, it's a big time difference for that. So uh, thank you for, for being here. So um, over the years, I have done a lot of reading and um, study about spiritual practice. Have I ever mentioned? <laughs> and everything I've read, without exception, says that if you want to increase the amount of joy in your life, or rather, more accurately, if you want to be aware of the joy that is your natural state, if you want to know about joy as a natural state, just look at an infant or a young child, that's your natural state, then one of the best ways that you can facilitate that is by having a gratitude journal, keeping a gratitude journal. And I don't mean just thinking about things I mean, actually writing things down every morning uh, and as part of my own spiritual practice. I try to write down at least three things that happened yesterday um, that for which I'm grateful. And the value of this is that, um, and, and when, when Sherry and I did, used to do uh, couples workshops, one advice that I would give to guys, which I asked them to keep, I asked the women in the group not to listen, so women don't listen to this. Um, the guys who would just ask the, the women in their lives, when during the last week did you feel the most loved by me? It's a, I thought this up. This is, I'm, I'm going to copyright this. It is because it's based on the psychological principle of sorting. We, we, if you sort... Things, if you sort through a filter of looking for good things, that's what you focus on, all the good things, and you kind of push the bad aside. And so that's a good thing to do. You have to pick your time wisely when to do this. But look back over, over what happened yesterday for the good things that happened, the things about which you're joyful, and uh, write those down and do it the next day and the next day. You can have repetition. That's okay. And then sometime um, once a week, once every six weeks or so, sit down and read over what you've written. You'd be amazed at how that transforms how you feel and think about your life. It's a good thing to do. So um, do that. I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful that we are able to do this. Um, I'm grateful to be here. You know, my age, I'm grateful to be anywhere. So, okay. <laughs> anyway. 
Okay, let's begin in silence. Do what it, you need to do to be here. Just bring yourself in a room, put your feet on the floor, close your eyes if that's helpful. Our goal is just to be present and open and awake to what wants to happen here. And I've been using this adaptation of a Gallic prayer. May grace be in our heads and in our thinking. May grace be in our eyes and in our seeing. May grace be in our ears and in our hearing. May grace be in our mouths and in our speaking. Great. May grace be in our hearts and in our understanding. And may grace be in our ends and our departing. So I hope you find what you're looking for by being here today. And uh, just to be aware that no matter who you are, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. So in this time, we honor the eternal truths of truth, of freedom, and of love. And we do what we do here with the belief that what we do benefits all people everywhere. So I want to keep reminding you, I'm going to keep doing this. I don't want to be a nag, but I'm going to nag that at the, the, the beginning of the new year, the first Sunday, first Saturday and Sunday of the new year, this woman, Jan Phillips, is going to be here. And Janice came up and said to me today at the beginning of the class, thank you so much for recommending that we read her biography. It's, it's fabulous. It's absolutely fabulous. There's testimony from somebody that I paid to say, no, <laughs> it's a fabulous book. And there are other resources that you can get. If you go online to Jan Phillips' website, you can get her email. She does not inundate you with emails, one every Sunday. It's a brief thing that you get, and it's, it's very good. So she's going to be spending the day with us on that Saturday and then she'll be here uh, on, on Sunday morning. And details about that are on the website. For those of you who are watching online, registration is already open on the website. Um, it's a paid-for event. It's not a lot of money, but you will get your lunch. If you are watching, if you register from online, we will mail you your lunch <laughs> sometime the next week after this. So, uh, charging a modest fee lets us know how many people will be here and how to set up the room and that sort of thing. So that, that's why we do that. So, our, our, you know, we started the first Sunday in Advent today. And, and let me just say that if you are not accustomed to walking across the plaza and being in the cathedral for the worship services during Advent, I highly recommend that you do that. They are fabulous. The music is fabulous. The additional services that we will have, like lessons and carols, I think that's next Sunday. Uh, it's worth it's worth coming. Our choir already is outstanding, but what they do during Advent, it's just a great, great, great time to be a part of St. Paul's. I encourage you to do that. So Advent is coming, and then um, Christmas Eve is on Saturday this year. And we have so many services, it wears baby Jesus out. I mean, all day it seems like on Christmas Eve. And then we come back on Christmas. But day is on Sunday. 
So we will only have one service on Christmas, but this class will not meet Christmas. This class will not meet on January the 1st. So that's the reason I'm keeping pumping Jan Phillips. I don't want her to get lost because there's going to be this space where we won't be having this kind of contact. And I really, really, really want you to come. Okay? She's amazing. Trust me on this. Holly Hudley and I have known each other for over 20 years. And uh, our relationship has been multifaceted. Um, Holly, there are a lot of things you don't know about Holly. Holly is an artist. Holly is a teacher, has been a school teacher. Holly has a graduate degree in psychology from Harvard. Holly is about to get her PhD. She submitted her, P her dissertation in evolutionary cosmology. Um, she has experience as a mother of three Almost teenage boys? They are teenagers? Bless your heart. They all come really bunched together. Their birthdays are really close together. Holly is in an interracial marriage with a wonderful guy named Josh. So she lives in a much broader world than most of us do. And consequently, she has a passion for matters of justice. And she's one of the best read people I know. I'm so grateful to not only her for her, the way that she and I have had an evolving relationship over the years, but the wonderful books that she has recommended to me that I otherwise would never have known about. So when I first thought about what I wanted to say in introducing Holly today, I wanted to say, um, I want to introduce you to Holly Hudley. Holly is my personal savior. Now, uh, that may sound sacrilegious, but for those of you who don't know, back before pre-COVID days, um, and the evolution of this is complicated and long, Holly and I had gotten in a rhythm of where we were co-teaching together about once a month. And um, on the Sunday that the COVID shutdown occurred, we were already scheduled to co-teach in this place. And uh, there was nobody here. Now, I can tell you, it's not impossible to do, but it is virtually impossible to speak to an empty room for 40 minutes. It's no fun. So it was great for us to have that interaction on a regular basis, and particularly that Sunday when there was nobody here. And after that was over, I turned to Holly and said, would you mind teaching with me the next couple of weeks? That's all, you know, we'll be shut down for two or three weeks we thought and it stretched out and it stretched out and it stretched out and we were homebound we were isolated and um, during that time Holly and I spent a lot of time talking on the phone mostly um, I got a paid zoom account as most everybody did during that time um, and and during that time we had wonderful conversations and talked about what we wanted to bring to this group and I think that the synergy of what Holly and I brought together was a wonderful and good thing. An old guy with a vital young woman, uh, the, mix, the mixture of, of masculine, feminine, our age, our life experiences, differences, all that stuff. And, um, and Holly did this week after week after week with no compensation, except she got to hear my jokes. <laughs> 
She got the first draft of the jokes, and I got a lot of eye rolls. Um, I want to thank you all for making this uh, space during this time available for the transition that we've been making in our personal lives. And I want to thank Holly Hudley for what has been, for what, for today, and what will be. Ladies and gentlemen, Holly Hudley. You know, uh, Ryan Presley has a walkout song that's a Johnny Cash song. Can I get that? Can I get a can I get a Johnny Cash walkout song? It's a I mean, you know I love baseball, but um when this is not in my notes, this was not how I planned to start, but when Brian Presley comes out in the ninth inning to close an Astros game, anyone go to a live game this year, the whole stadium goes dark and Johnny Cash is booming over the stadium. It's uh, the song is a Negro spiritual that he Johnny Cash has redone called Run On. And he walks out slowly to the mound. Everybody's phones are lit and waving him out there. It's really dramatic and cool. So I'm, thanks for the intro. <laughs> um, I love you, Bill. So I'm glad y'all are here. And I'm happy we're here on a sun beautiful Sunday today during a season of gratitude and light. When Bill and I were teaching together weekly, we talked every week on a Monday or a Tuesday, and Bill always asked, what is it that we want people to get out of our talk this week? So we would come up with a few bullet points and then kind of write around that and share our writing each week. So I'll start by sharing my answer to myself <laughs> this week. Often, I think in clusters of three, and again, to draw on baseball, I'm told that our Cy Young award-winning pitcher, Justin Verlander, also thinks in threes. He um, dusts the mound three times with his cleats. He washes his hands to, uh, to a count of three and um, uses three paper towels and always uses the third stall. I know way too much about this man's bathroom habits. <laughs> um, he, he loves the number three, and I, too, love the number three. My birthday is 3-3. Three, three. So I'm offering you three points that I'd like for us to hopefully hold on to today. Number one, I want to show you how Jesus was a cosmologist. Number two, I am offering that we might think about changing the word thanksgiving to grace-giving. And number three, to explore the beauty of tension. Point number one, you'll remember that we explored the mystical meaning for quite a while of the Gospel of John here. And I think, Bill, you kind of continued that pattern. And I want to bring to mind a, a particular passage from John. And you know, this is, not my, this is not my forte, being a biblical scholar, but this verse kind of found me over the last couple of weeks. And I thought, oh my god, Jesus was a cosmologist. So it says, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me, because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe in you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them, and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness, 
and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way that you've loved me. Cosmology is, in a sense, about trying to understand a unified whole, where we are from, where we are going. But before developing an understanding of astrophysics and deep time evolution, before Einstein and his theories of relativity, infinity, um, early cosmologists relied on intuition and profound imaginations. Indeed, one aspect of cosmology is the evolution of consciousness and our expanding ideas about who we are, about the self in relation to the world. In the fifth century BC, Pythagoras, we all learned the Pythagorean theorem at some point in school, how to something about triangles, the hypotenuses. I can't even say it, gosh, I should be able to say it. Anyways, Pythagoras led a secret thought society in the fifth century BC that included at least half women. And it was said that he married one of the scholars from that group. They looked out at this vast cosmos and they saw a mathematical underpinning to everything that is. His work then su supported the development of the golden ratio, the, the kind of perfect ratio of everything that says all things are connected by a series of balance and order. Every ratio on our body is, is to that golden ratio. So for example, I'm not gonna do this because it's actually a bad joke that you do with your kids. Your hand is as large as your face. <laughs> You do that, right? You, you go, do you know your hand is as large as your face? And you smack your kid's hand. <laughs> Y'all don't have boys. <laughs> Anyways, um, so this mathematical underpinning supported the golden ratio that all things are supported by balance and proportion. Knowledge begins with wondering. It begins with curiosity. And really good ideas continue to evolve over time. They continue to take shape and work their way through our own minds and creativity. Cosmology, I think, in an effort to still try and understand oneness, extends into many branches of thought, from philosophy to mathematics to astronomy and to religion and also to physics. It's a joint effort to understand the universe as a unified whole. Isn't that what Jesus was about? Understanding the universe as a unified whole. Where does everybody belong? And he challenged the powers that be that everybody, in fact, belong. He disrupted the hierarchy. He disrupted everything, really. And I think that's what we're called to be, is not disruptors that break things apart, but disruptors that pull things together. If a theory of everything is a spirituality, then that spirituality says we all belong. That means me, and you, and you, and you all belong. The scholar Resla Aslan, who wrote Zealot, did you read that book? You didn't? I didn't either. <laughs> I just read about it. Has anyone read the book Zealot? Thank you. You can, you can be the scholar on this. Come on up. Uh, the Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth. So I've read plenty of reviews about it. It's a book I should read, but I haven't. She suspected that Jesus, I've also heard lots of interviews with, with this person. He's a wonderful interviewer suspects that Jesus was not very likely, was very likely illiterate. In fact, he lived in a society in which roughly 98% of the people in the world were illiterate. And as a woodworker, as a, as a laborer, Jesus very likely fit into that 98%. So his cosmology then was not based on understanding differential equations, the Pythagorean theorem, <laughs> or anything widely read. His cosmology was a deep intuition 
about oneness. His Jewish faith, in fact, teaches that everything, each and everything, emerged from a massive explosion of a ball of light in which each shard of light embedded itself into everything that exists. So the theory of reunification is about coming back together as a whole. And we do that through acts of world repair, tikkun olam. It's a, a Hebrew mystical concept in which as we repair the world, we repair our wholeness. A professor of mine writes that we all come from the same God stuff. And while believing that seems really simplistic, it is actually a really radical thought. To truly embrace this kind of oneness to which Jesus referred is subversive because it rejects us-them paradigms. It rejects that I am separate from you. It challenges racism, sexism, and other forms of oppression that keep us embattled. While simply believing in a unified theory isn't enough to usher in world peace, because if we all believed it, we'd have it. We have to also do something with it. It is enough, though, to give me pause as to why we remain so against one another, why we push against so often. And of course, if, again, if any of you have ever <laughs> raised teenagers, you know that a lot of the pushing against is also how you come back to connection. So in some ways, we need that tension in order to come back to oneness. I wonder, though, how have we traveled so far from our singular origin, from ideas about this oneness? I don't think when Jesus said, the goal is for all of them to become of one heart and one mind, that he meant we should shed our individuality. He references a mature oneness, where we learn to experience the self and the different other as equally sacred. When we honor the dignity and the work of uh, the dignity and the soul of each individual, and we work for their liberation—not just people, but all beings—then we're participating in that oneness. However, if we're really honest with ourselves, and I'll be honest with myself, we size ourselves up against each other all the time. What do you have that I don't? Am I good enough? Are you good enough? <laughs> We size ourselves up against one another and tend to lean into competition rather than companionship. We kind of have to get through that you are not a threat to me to get to companionship. There's an opportunity here, I think, to pause our habitual thinking, to stop ourselves and wonder, why do I resist, judge, or evaluate others, as opposed to make space for the radical other? There's a woman who um, I relied a lot upon in my studies, Maria, oh gosh, Maria Fernandez. And she writes about the sacred other, that in fact, when we think about the other, we think this person is different than I am. But when we think of the other as sacred, each one of us is an other. So our difference is what makes us sacred. If we can change our thought patterns, just like a stone can change the direction of water, then we can also change our behaviors. When Jesus taught us, I and them, and you and me, he was, in a sense, pointing it at that sort of elusive theory of everything that physicists have been chasing ever since Pythagoras, and then since Einstein blew our minds with his theory of infinite relativity. Perhaps it's not so much known as it is felt, but we keep trying to find theories to prove it. Einstein's motivation was apparently to know how God created the world. 
he said to a young physics student, Esther Salaman, I'm not interested in this or that phenomenon, in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are just details. Indeed, Einstein's details have revealed much to us about the known universe. By 2014, another brilliant mind, Stephen Hawking, he changed his mind. He, he pursued this theory, this unified theory, for his entire career. And then he realized, well, maybe it's okay that I can't get there. Instead of feeling disheartened by it, he says, I'm now glad that our search for understanding will never come to an end and that we will always have the challenge of new discovery. That's a pretty cool way to come to maybe disappointment. <laughs> I imagine that there was disappointment about not, you know, he died not too long ago, and he died without coming up with that elusive theory of everything. But the theory of everything is the pursuit of wisdom. This, I love to think about this um, theory of unification as gravity or dark matter. There's also a lot we don't understand about gravity, much less dark matter. But it is said that we know how it acts upon things. We know that it keeps us from flying apart. Gravity keeps us from floating off. It allows us to hug. It allows us to handshake. It allows us to draw near to one another. On some level, all of these things operate on us even though we don't understand them. I return to this simple line from which our humble Jewish carpenter says, and I could wrestle with this for the rest of my life, I and them and you and me. If I really lived into that, if we really lived into that, we could change the world. So point number two, this space in between where maybe gravity and dark matter operate could be called a grace margin. And Bill, you've really been leaning on this word grace as an understanding of the divine lately. There's a man, I think he's an Episcopalian, Episcopal theologian, Eric Law, developed a language that I'm learning a lot about right now called holy currencies. And he offers this illustration of the grace margin. And the key is that we, we exist in this space in between. And at either end of that space is fear and safety. And all of us are somewhere on this spectrum. Some of us lean deep into fear. I know I do when I'm in my like sickness, my unhealthy sickness <laughs> is fearful. Um, and then I crave safety to get out of the fear. But usually the space of growth is in between. Where do you see yourself in this grace margin? Are you operating closer to what is safe and known? Or are you unmoored by fear of the unknown? Or can you exist in that expansive middle space in which we can name assumptions, conflicts can be spoken and resolved, not hidden and ignored? And are we willing to be wrong? Is your grace margin surrounded by this permeable membrane? I love that there's a dotted line around it, which is in, in our cellular makeup, we have a permeable membrane that allows good nutrition in and expels the bad nutrition. So, and it also allows for inclusion. The permeable membrane allows for things to come in. Um, what topics, though? We all have things that make us kind of get out of our grace margin, that make us go through fear, go to fear or safety. Who could walk in the back door right now, and I promise it's not who just did, <laughs> um, that someone, that we might go, ooh, that makes me uncomfortable. Would it be a trans person? Would it be an illegal immigrant? 
who would it be that could walk into that back door that might make you go, oh, they just challenged my grace margin? Each of us has an answer to that question if we're honest with ourselves. And grace is when we lean into the discomfort, when we deal with that rather than lean into fear or desires for safety. I want to back up a little bit because I made a point, and this is point number two, that we should name Thanksgiving grace-giving. This is in part um, an etymological argument, and I think we both share love of etymology. In fact, when I was <laughs> look, when you, we were unpacking books with Bill last week, there's a giant volume of etymology <laughs> that I almost that I tried to steal, but it wouldn't fit in my. I didn't actually. Um, <laughs> anyways, so gratitude and grace share the same root, and in Sanskrit, the word is granati. It means sings, praises, or announces. So grace is a song. When we have a wide grace margin, we are more likely to sing into Jesus' words, I in them and you in me. Or as one of my favorite Irish rockers, Bono, of U2, says, this is one of his most popular songs, and I was listening to a news report the other day that this has kind of become a cultural ballad, the song One. It says, we are one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other carry each other. We are one. In oneness, we don't feel threatened by difference, but we celebrate it. I learned some time ago from reading Braiding Sweetgrass that the Haudenosaunee Nation, which is comprised of six Indian tribes in the Northeast, have a practice of grace giving before every important public gathering. The Haudenosaunee Confederacy originally consisted of the nations the Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, and the Tuscarora. It feels important, especially around this time, to honor Native Americans because this season is the one from which we co-opted Thanksgiving. We have all kinds of stories that make us feel really good about Thanksgiving, but it turns out it did not emerge as a friendly feast between white settlers and Native Americans, as most of us were taught. Little Indian kids did not dress in brown paper bags with pet, um, <laughs> With that, I, I, I'm sure there was a picture of me in that exact outfit as a little kid. You know, a brown paper bag with the Indian headdress on the back, and we've since learned that maybe that's not the most appropriate way to honor this, this holiday. The pilgrims did not have neatly folded hats. And in fact, many indigenous activists have gotten more vocal about likening Thanksgiving to erasure of their culture, to their native ways of life. It's symbolic of taking of lands, and resources rather than sharing in bounty. We gather around a table to share in bounty, but does that include our Native brothers and sisters? For many, it's not a happy day. Many indigenous tribes have, all, have practiced Thanksgiving every day as a ritual. They also practice um, this as a daily spiritual practice, to wake up, to welcome the sunrise, and to put the sun to bed. They bring to mind this wide grace margin that connects the natural and spiritual worlds. And as I've read more and more about Native American traditions, I think that that, again, unified theory of everything, this connection between the natural and spiritual, between the person and the animal, between the person and nature, is, is their deep spirituality. So I'm going to share this Thanksgiving address to the natural world. And it's rather lengthy, but I think it's worth hearing in full today. I used it not to appropriate or co-opt their tradition, but to remind us, and in fact, 
I read something that the Haudenosaunee say, share this widely. If only we could do, get our congressional leaders to read this before every major decision. If only. You'll begin to notice a pattern. I don't think I need to teach it to you. And I invite you to participate and respond once you pick up on it. So it starts like this. Today we have gathered and we see that the cycles of life continue. We have been given the duty to live in balance and harmony with each other and all living things. So now we bring our minds together as one as we give greetings and thanks to each other as people. And now our minds are one. We are thankful to our mother, the earth, for she gives us all that we need for life. She supports our feet as we walk about upon her. It gives us joy that she continues to care for us as she has from the beginning of time. To our mother we send greetings and thanks. And now our minds are one. We give thanks to all the waters of the world for quenching our thirst and providing us with strength. Water is life. We know its power in many forms. Waterfalls and rains, mists and streams, rivers and oceans. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to the spirit of water. And now our minds are one. We turn our minds to all the fish life in the water. They were instructed to cleanse and purify the water. They also give themselves to us as food. We are grateful that we can still find pure water. So we turn now to the fish and send our greetings and our thanks. And now our minds are one. Now we turn toward the vast fields of plant life. As far as the eye can see, the plants grow, working many wonders. They sustain many life forms. With our minds gathered together, we give thanks and look forward to seeing plant life for many generations to come. And now our minds are one. With one mind, we turn to honor and thank all the food plants we harvest from the garden. Since the beginning of time, the grains, vegetables, beans, and berries have helped the people survive. Many other living things draw strength from them, too. We gather all the plant foods together as one and send them a greeting of thanks. And now our minds are one. Now we turn to all the medicine herbs of the I said herbs, like a true Texan. Um, <laughs> of the world. From the beginning, they were instructed to take away sickness. They are always waiting and ready to heal. We are happy there are still those among us who remember how to use these plants for healing. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to the medicines and to the keepers of the medicines. And now our minds are one. We gather our minds together to send greetings and thanks to all the animal life in the world. They have many things to teach us as people. We are honored by them when they give up their lives so that we may use their bodies as food. We see them near our homes and in the deep forests. We are glad they are still here, and we hope it will always be so. And now our minds are one. We turn our thoughts to the trees. The earth, have, earth has many families of trees who have used their own instructions and uses for our well-being. Some provide us with shelter and shade, others with fruit, beauty, and other things. Many people of the world use a tree as a symbol of peace and strength. With one mind, we greet and thank the tree life. And now our minds are one. We put our mind together as one and thank all the birds who move and fly about over our heads. The Creator gave them beautiful songs. Each day they remind us to enjoy and appreciate life. The eagle was chosen to be their leader. To all the birds from the smallest to the largest, we send our joyful greetings and thanks. And now our minds are one. 
We are thankful to the powers of the winds. We hear their voices in the moving air as they refresh and purify the air we breathe. They help us to bring the change of seasons from the four directions they come, bringing messages and strength. With one mind, we send our greetings and thanks to the four winds. And now our minds are one. To the thunderers, where the grandfathers live. With lightning and thundering voice, they bring with them water that renews. We are thankful that they keep these evil things made by the Okawisers underground. We bring our minds together as one to send greetings and thanks to our grandfathers, the thunderers. And now our minds are one. We send thanks to the sun, our eldest brother. Each day without fail, the sun travels the sky from east to west, bringing the light of a new day. With one mind, we send our greetings and thanks to the brother, sun. And now our minds are one. To our grandmother, moon, who lights the night sky. She is the leader of woman all over the world, and she governs the movement of the ocean tides. By her changing face, we measure time, and it is the moon who watches over the arrival of children. With one mind, we send greetings and thanks to our grandmother, the moon. And now our minds are one. I promise we're almost done. We give thanks to the stars who are spread across the sky like jewelry. We see them in the night, helping the moon to light the darkness and bringing dew to the gardens and growing things. When we travel at night, they guide us. With our minds gathered together as one, we send greetings and thanks to the stars. And now our minds are one to the creator. We turn our thoughts to the creator or the great spirit and send thanks for all the gifts of creation. Everything we need to live a good life is here on earth. For all the love that is still around us, we gather our minds together as one and send our choicest words of greetings and thanks to the Creator. And now our minds are one. So we've arrived at the end. <laughs> if I had done that at my Thanksgiving table, <laughs> um, my kids probably would have been like, Mom, really? My youngest always says, Mom, we don't need another life lesson. <laughs> Evidently they do. Um, there's also a children's book called Don't Let Auntie Mabel Bless the Table. I might be Auntie Mabel in y'all's minds right now because Auntie Mabel goes on and on and on about all the things to be thankful for, to give grace to, for keeping us alive. Again, imagine if our leaders said this before important meetings. This Haudenosaunee address is used personally, interpersonally, collectively, in politics, in diplomacy, when the um, early, when the settlers were trying to take as much land as possible, the Haudenosaunee brought this to the table. And now our minds are one. For them, gratitude or grace is just a way of life. Our wise ancestor Thich Nhat Hanh had a much simpler way of saying that whole prayer, which is, thank you to the universe for, for providing for my existence. You taught me that prayer. Holding a bowl of soup or rice or whatever it is, and in this bowl of soup, the whole universe is supporting my existence. In this cup of coffee, right? He taught us that gratitude stands above all else. He taught us that if we incorporate gratitude, as Bill talked about, into our practice, it becomes our way of life. We begin to notice what is as opposed to what isn't, what we're missing. We notice what, what, what is around us, what imbibes us. 
It's not about being thankful for the things that happen to you, though that is part of it. But it's a stance of awareness that we take towards the world and all that's in it. It makes room for the energy of in-betweenness that connects all things, for dark matter to come in and keep us from flying apart. Perhaps that's our best way of understanding grace, is that tension. So I arrive now at the third thing I hope you'll take away, is how important tension is. I might have also mentioned that I love the story of Jacob wrestling the angel. Part of it is that I love the tension. Jacob never gives up. He never gives up on the wrestling. It's the angel who finally goes, I got to cut you off me. You're driving me crazy, man. <laughs> right? That's probably how Josh feels. And I'm like, I'm just really worried about this one idea. Can you just go to bed? Um, <laughs> so, and I love this story because of, that, of the tension. I and you and you and me. Jacob doesn't want to be apart from this divine force. We are one, but we are not the same. Jesus knew this tension. It is, I think, the whole point of the message of the gospel. Made especially clear, this is maybe one of my favorite moments in the gospel, when Jesus kisses Judas or receives a kiss from Judas, his betrayer. In that moment, he calls him friend. And he incorporates that which is not, he incorporates the shadow. He incorporates the opposite of love just before going to his death. And that is what allows him to die and to be reborn, is to incorporate the tension of that which he deemed opposite, right? Einstein was guided by tension. Bono, again, my favorite, sings about this. The Haudenosaunee gave words to it, and I shared them today. Deep down, we all seek integration. We seek wholeness. We do not want to fly apart. But we are prohibited by the degrees to which we are seduced by needs for fear and safety. Oneness is not sameness. It is not even always agreement. It's a commitment to a way of being that upholds the dignity, belonging, and freedom of all beings in tension with our own, so that our needs are not in competition but in collaboration with one another. If all beings feels too hard to grasp, then maybe just start with most beings most of the time. Maybe just start with yours and mine. Maybe just start with your own. Because if you can really grasp the tension that's living in you, you'll be able to live out in that tension in life, too. We actually already exist in oneness. It's not anything to achieve just something to recognize, something to be in. That oneness, which I'm calling the grace margin, is full of paradox. It's absent of either-or thinking. It's absent of us-them thinking. It does not delight in human division. But in just the right amount of discomfort so that growth occurs, the Earth holds these tensions all the time. And as Earthlings, I think we're born for this paradox. We're born for holding tension. For example, here we are about to enter a season of light, Advent, but it's the darkest time of year. And the southern hemisphere is holding the light for us. So the earth is already existing in this tension and light and darkness all the time. When we learn to widen our own grace margins, we're able to sit with it. We're able to, again, to quote Bono, and it's hard for me to not sing along with this, but I won't. He says, grace finds beauty in everything. Grace carries a world on her hips, no champagne flute for her lips. 
no twirls or skips between her fingertips. She carries a pearl in perfect condition. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. There's enough ugly in the world. I think it could keep us in days for, or in tears for days. But as Newton's third law supports, there must also be an equal and opposite amount of beauty. For everything, there's an equal and opposite thing. A grandchild's dimpled smile is a moment of grace. A poem with just the right mix of words, the kind that makes you wish you had written it because it expresses exactly what you wanted to hear that day. An orange and pink sunset from the 14th floor of a building that overlooks snarled traffic. This sunset after an exhausting day of grief and anticipation and energy. A firm hug from someone you've only ever met over Zoom. I had this experience the other day. I've been on Zoom with this person for two years and we met in person and it was just like the best hug. Rain, like last week's that kept you in your favorite corner of your couch reading a book all day. Maybe you got to do that. I love listening to box cello suites by Pablo Casals on vinyl. Anyone have that? No? Yes? Okay. I, can, I weep. That's grace. This is the tension of the instruments. There is so much pain in the world, but there is so much beauty, equal at least to the ugly. Grace grows our ability to hold both, to make space for the joy and the grief. And our energy follows our attention. So perhaps the intent of this holiday season that I'm dubbing grace giving is to invite us to fine tune our attention and our ability to hold tension. The words we read and use eventually change our minds. When our minds change, our behaviors change. May our minds be one. And no matter where you go this week, and I'm changing it, no matter what happens, remember that you walk in grace. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>